1: listening to the Cattle Station Classroom podcast where we learn about the North Australian beef industry and answer your questions. So it doesn't matter how far from town you are because we're bringing the classroom to you. Welcome to the Cattle Station Classroom podcast. In today's lesson we are going to learn about heifer management. Here's the thing, heifers need special treatment compared to cows. They're a little more high maintenance, but it's really important because if a heifer isn't set up for success from the start, it can mess up her breeding life. In this episode, I'm again joined by Dr. Jeff Neath. Jeff is a former director of the Large Animal Teaching Clinics at the University of Queensland Veterinary School based in Gundawindi and past president of both the Australian Cattle Veterinarians and the Australian Veterinarian Association. He is currently working as a consultant to Meat and Livestock Australia. Heifer management is Jeff's greatest passion, and we're very excited to have him on the show today. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Now, before we start talking about heifer management, can we just take a moment to clearly define what a heifer is?
2: Well, scientists like to think of a heifer as an unmated female that has been kept to go into the breeder herd, I guess, as a replacement heifer. Once she's had a calf, some of us call it a first calf heifer. But now, and especially in cash cow, we are referring to that animal as a first calf cow. But basically, it's that animal that's never had a calf and she gets in calf for the first time.
1: Is there an age limit on this? Because I'm just thinking, if some cow manages to, you know, last five years without getting in calf, you wouldn't still call her a heifer when she's five years old, would you? Is there is a sort of an age no, barrier there?
2: And she probably shouldn't be in the herd either. But no,
1: absolutely uh, not. No, it,
2: it varies. It varies a little bit. Um, where you can do what they call yearling mating, a heifer is probably. 15 months of age when she gets joined. Now in Northern Australia, that's a very, very, very difficult exercise to to get your heifers to the critical mating weight at 15 months of age. And so the normal practice in Northern Australia, where you have a extended dry season every year, is probably, and in most cases, is to mate at probably two years, um, two years and three months of age. But in other places where it's even more difficult country, sometimes the heifers don't get mated first up until they're three years of age in very, very few places.
1: Okay. So a heifer is for the purpose of this conversation, a young female that has not yet been, that has not yet carved.
2: Has uh, not right. yet carved. Exactly. Yeah. That's probably a good, the carving changes the whole description after mm-hmm. she's carved. Scientists now like to call her a first calf cow. Producers, a lot of producers still call it a first calf heifer. I mean, long as you, if you put the first calf in there, you, I think most people understand what's going on.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, why is heifer management so important? It, it seems to be a topic on its own. Rather, you know, you've got cow or breeder management, but heifer management is quite a big topic on its own as well. Why is it so important?
2: Yep. no, there are a number of reasons. I think I, I was involved in earlier years in junior cricket. And if you want a strong adult competition going, you've got to have your juniors coming through. And even when I was in Tennant Creek, you had T-ball. So if you want a strong baseball competition, have the juniors coming through. They are the foundation for your adult herd. Now, the thing with heifers is, when you look at the proportion of young heifers in any herd, in a normal herd, um, they make up probably about 40% of your breeding herd are aged two, three, and four years of age. That's quite a lot. People don't think that. But uh, when you, if, you're, if you're putting your heifer into the herd at two and culling at 10, then when you break down the, the number of breeders you have in your herd, those that are aged between two and four make up probably 40 to 45% of your herd. Now, the thing is, This class of animals, as demonstrated quite clearly in cash cow, had the highest calf loss, up to 20% in some cases, and also had the poorest reconception rates. Now, the poor reconception rates aren't only an issue for Northern Australia. They apply to Southern Australia, um, King Island, Bass Strait, Victoria, wherever you like. It's these animals that are still growing and trying to get back in calf, which are struggling.
1: Okay, so what is the issue with a first calf heifer? So she's just had her first calf and now it's time to get pregnant again with calf number two. What is the issue with her being able to get back in calf?
2: Well, well, the issue is, and I mentioned it just briefly before, is, is she still growing? So if they're calving out, say, at about 300 or 400 kgs, and the mature cow weight is, say, 500 kgs, that female still has a lot of growth to do. And, and growth takes up a lot of uh, energy and protein. And so they've got to eat not only to put milk into the calf, but also to keep going forward. And so they're under a lot of pressure uh, feed-wise.
1: Why do you think calf loss is also a bigger problem in maiden heifers versus regular breeder cows?
2: Well, there are a number of issues uh, why this happens, and uh, first of all, there's the, the mothering ability. Here we have a, a, a young female that's never gone through childbirth, uh, never had, never had to care for a young, never been told how to do mothercraft. If you like, she gets landed with a calf uh, in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden that child mother bond has to develop. But there are other issues as well as mothering ability. For instance, uh, in a maiden heifer, dystocia can be a major problem. Uh, And that's basically because you've got a calf too big for a birth canal. And so uh, they have problems even getting the calf out or can have a very um, lengthy birth process. And consequently, the calf is under a lot of pressure. If he does get managed to be born alive, he could have been um, hours trying to get out. The other thing is, though, but there's other issues as well, uh, these young animals are more susceptible to disease, especially the virus diseases like um, three-day sickness, uh, akabani uh, pestivirus. They're all viruses that cause uh, fairly good immunity in the herd. Once an animal's been infected, then they, they've got lifelong immunity, especially with, um, say, pestivirus or, uh, or, or 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 three-day sickness. But if they happen to pick that up and they're more susceptible, of course, because they haven't been challenged before, then they are likely to lose their calf. And same with vibriosis as well. Um, maiden heifers are more more likely to pick up vibrio because they're um, naive, never been exposed to a bull before. Yeah, no, you've got the disease and then you've got the mothering ability, uh, all sorts of things. And, and probably uh, not making enough milk first up yet.
1: So the two main issues with first calf heifers is that they are more likely to lose their calf. So they have a greater rate of calf loss and they have a lot more trouble getting back in calf, reconceiving, because they're still growing and they're trying to, you know, divvy up their energy um, to be able to do all these different bodily functions, like raise that first calf, get pregnant with the second calf and still grow to be adult size. So. I suppose that's where heifer management comes in. So there's, a, I suppose, a different set of, maybe not rules is the right word, but there's a different strategy that people can use to manage their heifers different to their cows. It's like their heifers just need a little bit of extra TLC. So what is the goal of heifer management?
2: Well, the goal of heifer management should be, the Holy Grail, should be to ensure a heifer conceives at the optimum time of year and that she raises her calf and gets back in calf within three to four months of calving. That's very easy to say, a lot harder to do when you're in uh, stressful uh, nutritional circumstances. And I think if you need uh, data on this, Tim Schatz actually did a project on heifers back in 2007 or 2008, and he found that the reconception rates in the far north were as low as 10%. As low as 10%. So if you've got calf losses occurring and some of the calf losses occurring on some of the, a lot of these properties were somewhere between twenty and as high as thirty-seven percent, if you've got calf losses of twenty to thirty percent occurring plus reconception rates of only ten percent, then you can see why you're probably only going to get one calf in by the time a heifer gets to four years of age or she becomes a cow at four years of age, you might only get one one um, calf out of that female.
1: When we're talking about calf loss, can I just clarify, are we talking about once she has calved and that calf is on the ground and then it doesn't make it to weaning or is it when she's been confirmed pregnant and then that calf somewhere between that stage and weaning gets lost?
2: Well, that's, that's a good question. And the only way we can determine that, well, the only way we, we know is, is when we pretest. test uh, and we know that she's pregnant. So actually, when we're talking calf loss, we actually are talking about abortions as well between pregnancy testing and calving. But when you look at the data from uh, a lot of the research out there, a lot of the calf loss is occurring uh, as perinatal calf loss. It's it's around that first week or two of birth. But having said that, uh, abortions do occur and losses do occur uh, even um, after castration and uh, dehorning, and that's a significant losses can occur. Yeah, we are talking that time from preg testing to weaning because that's what most people can manage. Because let's face it, no, one, no one's out there watching all the cow, uh, calves get born. So we don't know how many calves are actually born alive. And so, yeah, so when we're talking in Northern Australia, calf loss, we actually are referring to abortions as well.
1: Okay, so if the goal is for a heifer to conceive at the optimum time of year to ensure that she's raising her calf on a rising plane in nutrition and is able to get back in calf within three to four months of calving, how do we actually do that? What's the best, you know, how do we give her her best shot of doing that?
2: Well, in Northern Australia, I think that the green date is a very useful tool to, to use. Uh, the green date basically... Um, is determined by definition it's a 70% chance of getting at least 50 millimeters of rain in a three day period after the 1st of October. Now that's quite a strange definition, but it all uh, relates back to the soil temperature being over nineteen degrees centigrade and understanding how um, pasture seeds germinate once they get adequate uh, moisture and temperature to germinate. And so if you get a reasonable amount of rain, like 50 millimetres, that's probably enough to get that that little seedling up and going. And so at 70% chance of doing that in most years, then you can be sure that this is probably the point when you're going to start to get reliable pasture. Now it will vary. I mean, you have to, you have a green date that's set for a particular region or a particular place. Now, if you made it a 100% chance, you wouldn't probably get a green date, but 70% chance, most years, in most years, um, you're going to have feed on the ground at the time when you need it. And once you set your, set your date, you can't change it every year, of course, you set it and you manage around that. And you will have dry years and you will have wet seasons when it comes a bit earlier, but this is on average. And so consequently, you want to calve probably before the green date, but you don't mate until about a month after the green date. So you're, you're mating when there's plenty of green feed on the ground.
1: Okay, so once producers work out the the most appropriate time to join their heifers, how it doesn't actually mean that that heifer will conceive though, because there's a little bit more to it. So how can you know if a heifer, you know, will conceive?
2: The most practical way to manage that is to understand critical mating weights at joining. Now, a critical mating weight by definition is the mating weight at which 84% of heifers will conceive if mated over a six-week joining period. Now, a lot of producers in Northern Australia will say immediately, this is not possible. Uh, Let me say that this is... This is the Holy Grail where you need to be. And weighted puberty is a highly heritable trait. And I think if you persevere and select with it uh, and, 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 and select the right bulls, and manage it correctly, eventually you will get there. All this early work was done in New Zealand, back in the Waikato region, uh, on Angus of all breeds. But the principle is still the same. You need to put pressure on the heifers. What I think happens in Northern Australia is that the bulls go out. Hold
0: up.
2: Time probably in December, January. Uh, the heifers they we we used to be told that the target weight for Brahmins was 280 kgs. Now I'm not quite sure where that came from. But when we went in and did our preg testing, say in June or July, we might get 80% pregnancy. But the pregnancy has occurred probably over a six month joining period. What we need to understand is that even in New Zealand, where all this work was done, a first calf cow, as we'll call them now, takes longer than any other animal to start cycling again. So the whole concept or the philosophy behind trying to squeeze these heifers and put the pressure on is so that they can carve in six weeks. It gives them an extra um, month or so to get back in calf. So they've actually got more time after they calve to put on condition to reconceive. And that's the whole philosophy behind critical mating weight. And basically you set a target. So you want, it's all about weight and getting the weight in your heifer. So when the bulls go in, most of them are cycling and they'll, 84% 84% of them will get in calf within six weeks of joining. You don't want to be putting your bulls out and you get a pretest test of 80% okay, but some of those are getting in calf in April, May, when they should have been getting in calf in February. So when you look at that, those that calf, get in calf late in the season, they're going to calf right at the end of the wet season. They've got no chance at all of getting back in calf.
1: How can you tell if a heifer has reached puberty?
2: Well, um, you can tell as if uh, if she's starting to cycle, if she, if, she, if she's got if her ovaries have uh, developed and she's got and she's got follicles, and the follicles have ruptured, and she's after a ruptured follicle, you get what they call a corpus luteum. Now, when they do all the trial work, they actually scan heifers to look at whether they've actually got a corpus luteum on their ovary, they'll know then that they've cycled and gone through a full cycle. And so all the CRC work that was done was done on heifers that were scanned every six weeks to keep on looking for ovaries, uh, follicles developing, they'd follow those through. And then as soon as you find a corpus luteum, you know straight away that a, um, a follicles developed and, and that ovary is matured.
1: If when we're driving around in the paddock, is there a way to visually assess a heifer and say she's hit puberty, she's ready to join or are we just, is that why we're going off weight?
2: Unless you scan, you're not going to know for sure. But, um, the other ways of knowing, of course, is to, is to preg test to know when she, and to work backwards, uh, and of course, if you see heifers, if you see heifers riding each other or mounting each other in the paddock, or a bull serving a heifer, you'll know that she's reached puberty and she's ready to mate. Because heifers go looking for a bull when they're cycling, and so uh, there'll be a lot of activity as in riding. Now, the other way you can do it, if you wanted to, is to put cue mates or kmares on top of your heifers. Now, these are the heat detectors that people use in AI programs. If you really want to go to that, and they only cost a couple of dollars, you could get your maiden heifers in and stick them on. And then they, as soon as they get mounted and ridden, and of course they have to stand there for probably not just a short mount, but a, a good mount where a, where a, where she stands still and gets ridden properly, those things will turn red. So they stand out like the proverbial and, and you can see them quite easily and you know straight away that that heifer's been on heat.
1: So how can we manage heifers to reach their critical mating weight at that optimum, optimum joining date?
2: Well, we do a little bit of work and we work out, uh, we, 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 we understand, or we've worked out what the critical mating weight is. Now this will vary within breeds as well, because some breeds are more fertile. Some studs have selected for, aged puberty over a long period of time and so their critical mating is going to be a lot lower than other breeds but once you've once you've made it the first way to do it if i was doing it would be to weigh my heifers before i put the bulls in so first up if you've done nothing at all weigh your heifers on when the bulls go out and you get the weights of all of them you make your bulls. Now, you might put your bulls in for two or three months or maybe even longer. You get someone in that can fetal age. Fetal age is important. So then you go back and work out which heifers are, say, when you do your preg test, which are four months pregnant, which are three months pregnant, which are only six weeks pregnant. You can then go back and look at those weights to your heifers uh, when you've joined them to see... If you've got a heifer that was 330 or 340 kgs when you put the bulls in and she's four months pregnant, you can work out backwards what your critical mating weight is if you want to go to that, that, that uh, level of... Uh, of
0: um. But we do
2: have, we do have uh, accuracy, I should say, have, uh, from CRC where they did a lot of this work with Brahmins and tropical composites we know that the average weight of the Brahmins used in the CRC herds, the average weight at puberty was 334 kilograms, 334. So the critical mating weight is actually going to be a little bit heavier than that because that's when they first started cycling. But it takes probably 2.3, some, some get in calf straight away on the first cycle, but some heifers take two or maybe three cycles before they actually conceive. And so this is all about uh, how many cycles it takes before she she gets pregnant. So the critical mating weight may be then a little bit higher than the average weight at puberty. I hope I haven't confused you with that, but um, that's basically how it happens.
1: That's all right. So if we are able to get heifers mated at that critical mating weight and the correct time of year... That's you know half half the problem there, but the other half is of course the calf loss. So what kind of things should we be doing to address calf loss in in heifers?
2: Well, uh, I guess there are uh, a number of re- a number of uh, areas that you need to look at, um, and the first thing you need to do is is you need to preg test or fetal age. Fetal age preferably, but certainly preg test. You need to know whether that animal was in calf. And then you need to understand um, or look at what other causal factors that may have caused that heifer to lose her calf. So if it's it's viruses and you've got a problem, then you really do need to be doing blood tests uh, and you only have to sample some of them. But to see whether whether they've got antibodies to the virus before they were joined and then after they were joined, so that's one way i mean there are a lot of reasons why animals lose calves and it could be it could be crocodiles in some places, certainly dogs are a big issue um, uh in some places as well uh, but not all um so I guess, and it could be dystocia. Now, dystocia is the, the birthing difficulties. Um, if you've got a dystocia problem, though, you're probably losing heifers as well as calves because um, if a heifer can't have a calf successfully, she will die in the paddock. And that's pretty easy to diagnose if you're able to find the heifer. The, the calf's only halfway out and not even out at all. So... Uh, and there are a lot of a lot of a lot of issues, but I think the number one thing is to find out what's causing the calf loss, and that's where the research at the moment is targeting and going. So there's a lot of emphasis now on looking at calf loss, and and especially in maiden heifers to work out what are the causal factors. And it won't be the same for every place. It could be pestivirus in some places. It could be akabani. It could be uh, dogs. Time of mustering is a big issue. Um, uh, why why Heifers don't rear a calf, Um, time of mustering. um, All these sort of things need to be looked at on an individual basis. There's no recipe that you can come out and say, this is what's causing my losses.
1: Dystocia or this difficulty during calving, I found that to be a really big issue when I lived in the United States, but something that pastoralists or ranchers could manage for because they ran their cattle in such small parcels of land they would actually when they they would monitor their cows and heifers and go and pull calves when they could see they were having trouble that is of course not feasible at all on pastoral leases in australia there's no way we could be driving around monitoring cows in the late stages of pregnancy seeing them having trouble and you know run out there and ask it to just stand there while we while we pull out the calf so what can we do down here in australia on these big tracts of land to manage for dystocia in heifers
2: well, uh, the, there are a number of issues and I guess dystocia will will increase in prevalence as we start selecting for higher growth rate animals. So we, if we're only selecting for EBVs, for instance, we're selecting for animals that that grow quickly uh, and, and they're going to be heavier and they probably have a heavier birth weight as well. Now... Um, you normally don't see a lot of carving problems. I worked in the Territory for 12 years and I only ever pulled, delivered two calves and they were cows that were having problems carving in the yards when I was there doing testing for other reasons. So you don't see a lot of it. Um, but I do know that in a, in a project that was held in the, um, the Barclay Tablelands in um, around about 2000, the year 2000, uh, they found 4%. And so once you start selecting for animals, and especially European breeds that are, that are improving the size of the calf and the growth rate, uh, you're going to increase your prevalence of, of dystocia. So Brahmins traditionally ha- have a small calf, but as soon as you use uh, terminal size over them, then the problem can arise. And basically the problem is the calf in a maiden heifer, is the birth weight of the calf is too big for the size of the birth canal. Number one is then to look for sires that put over heifers that are going to have low EBVs for birth weight. So there are some genetic tools that you can use. One is birth weight and the other is calving ease. You can get some breeds are now producing calving ease. So you can buy bulls that have uh, low car, uh, high calving ease or low birth weights. If you've got a problem, uh, pelvimetry, where you actually measure the uh, pelvis diameter of the maiden heifers uh, prior to calving is also a tool, probably won't get used a lot in Northern Australia, but it's a valuable tool in in, uh, smaller places to uh, select those animals that have got a a roomier pelvis, if you like, and there's some very good equations to work out what size calf can be delivered through a pelvis of a certain area. and nutrition is the other thing, and now I don't think it's going to affect Northern Australia, but where you get uh, wet winters and uh, a lot of um, medics and high-protein um, pastures during the second term, uh, second uh, trimester of pregnancy, uh, the calf grows much quicker than the, than it should, and so you get these heavy, heavier calves being born. So nutrition can affect the size of the, the calf being delivered as well. Uh, so if you're in that situation, especially in the southern regions of Queensland, you might want to make sure that you don't get heifers uh, on a very positive plane of nutrition during pregnancy. You just want them coming along nicely, but not not too nicely, if you know what I mean. You certainly don't want 45, and and we did a lot of work with this when I was at Gundawindi, but you don't want 45 kilogram calves being born from a from a maiden heifer.
1: If people want to learn more about heifer management, where should they go?
2: Well, uh, we have a tips and tools uh, on on these very issues, um, which has been put out. Now that tips and tools actually uh, gives you the a good summary of all we've talked about. But it's also got the heifer wheel in there as well. So, basically, now not everyone's going to want to join according to the green date. Uh, that's the important thing. Up uh, In Northern Australia, it's very good because the green date, you have such a dry period for, for probably six months of the year. So the green date's a very good tool to use for setting your your time of joining. But in, in Southern Queensland areas and further south you go, where you do get winter rains and you get a more reliable spread out season, it's not so critical. And so other things determine when you're going to carve. So I mean, there's horses for courses, and and you can't put out recipes to say this is exactly what you do in every situation. So in southern Queensland, you use other, other reasons probably for determining when you mate. In northern Australia, though, the green date's probably a good one to start with.
1: Thank you for your time, Jeff. <music>